Hello, friends and church leaders, and welcome to another episode of the Effective Church Leaders Podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie and Becky Holton. Well, do you know what this is, honey? I, You know, I think I do. I think I know what you're going to say. Oh, my word, you found the sound effects button. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Well... It's our 100th episode of the Effective Church Leaders Podcast. Woo! That may not mean so much to our listeners, but boy, it sure does mean a lot to us. No kidding. You know, I recently read that the average podcast has a shelf life of seven episodes. Mm. I mean, I can understand why that happens. So to reach 100, well, we have a lot of people to thank, not least of whom are our listeners, you sweet people. So thank you, friends and church leaders, for listening to and for spreading the word about this podcast. And we should probably thank our IT and uh, editing team mm-hmm. uh, down in Denver. We would uh, thank be, you, you know, for them. World of hurt. Without yes, we them. would. World of hurt. Well, darling, before we delve into the content of this week's episode. You reminded me of something I want to mention briefly. You thanked church leaders. You thanked church leaders for listening Mm -hmm. in to this podcast. And, well, this is the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, but I think we should try to clear up a possible misconception. I heard from a brother in Christ a few weeks ago who told me that he appreciates our weekly journals, but he does not listen to the podcast because, as he said, I am not a church leader. Oh, no. Yeah. I hadn't heard this. And, you know, he's he's not an elder. He's not a deacon. Uh, he's he's a member of the church. He's a servant of the Lord, but he doesn't think that he's a church leader. Oh, no. And I think there are people who think, just like that man, that just because they are not a minister or elder or deacon or ministry leader, that this podcast is not for them. I wish we had more time to develop this thought, but, you know, the truth is that every person in the church is a leader. Absolutely. And that's because... Leadership is defined as influence. Mm -hmm. It's not about a title one may wear or a position one may hold. Anyone who has influence is a leader, and everyone can and should have influence, so everyone is a leader. I agree 100% with that. So if you are not listening to this podcast because you think the content may not benefit you, then... Well, you're probably not hearing what they're I'm not saying. listening anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me rephrase that. So, if you know someone who is not listening to this podcast because they think the content doesn't benefit them, since they're not wearing a particular title in the church they go to, please encourage them to reconsider. Good. And if you're listening and you really wonder if you should be, absolutely yes, is exactly where you should be. Because we just try to provide content that will benefit and help every member of the body of Christ. And every member of the body of Christ can and really should be and really is a leader. Right. So, hon, what are we talking about today in this 100th episode? Okay. Today, we are answering the question, what are some of the most common threats to small churches? Mm, I like this title. And really, you know, the hazards that we will identify for small churches also apply very well for larger churches. Mm -hmm. But these hazards or threats seem to really be problems 
for smaller churches. Right, and by now most of our listeners have probably heard some of the alarming statistics of Churches of Christ that were prepared by Tim Woodruff and Stan Granberg and published by Interim Ministry Partners. And one of the statistics of their report that really interested us was that 91% of all Churches of Christ attendees belong to churches of less than 250 members. Actually, 55% of our congregations have an average attendance of 34 people. Isn't that interesting? Very. So, by far, most of the congregations of Churches of Christ are classified as smaller churches. That's right. There, there just aren't that many large churches among us, and certainly not what many would call megachurches. Right, and so... I guess what you just said proves that this podcast might be helpful to just about every church leader in our fellowship, not to mention those in other religious fellowships. Absolutely. That's right. So let's jump right in. What is the first threat to small churches that we want to talk about, hon? Okay. Well, the first threat is the desire to keep the church one big family. Mm. This pressure is huge in small churches. And it may be a mindset that actually keeps the church from growing. People might be afraid that if they grow, they will no longer be one big family. I agree. I've heard that. Don't you think it's true that many, if not most, church leaders and members believe that the church functions best as one big family, one big happy family, hopefully? And isn't that what we should try to become, a family? Well, yes, uh, yes and no. We we are a family in Christ. Right. And we should express and demonstrate many of the characteristics of a happy family. But the desire to keep the church one big family is rather short-sighted. Actually, I would argue that it's impossible. I agree with that. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. The reality is that even in a church of 40 people, Those 40 people don't really know each other. Well, they may say they do, but they don't really know each other. I I know some may disagree with me here, but we might ask members of such a church if they really know everyone in the church. My belief is that some would say they feel left out, that they are not known. And even at 100 or 300 people in the church, enough people will still believe they know everyone, but they don't really. You know, I'm remembering what social scientists call the Dunbar number. I know you've heard of that. It's the average number of people that one can actually have as friends. And I think that number is 150. That is, you can have an acquaintance with 150 people, but you cannot be close friends with 150 people. No. You can't really know what's going on in the lives of 150 no. people, can you? No, it's like 150 people you can kind of, you can have, you call them friends. You can kind of relatively keep up a little bit with some of what's going on, especially major things. But as far as knowing what's really going on in their life, can't do it. Right. Good. That's an interesting thought, that Dunbar number. And I want us to think again of a church of, say, 100 to 300. I think if you ask those in that size church, they would admit that they don't know everyone. They just know the people they know and like and probably often feel that growing the church would threaten mm-hmm. those relationships. Well, and I think when you go to church with people a long time that you may be able to 
feel like you know them better. But the truth is, at 100 to 300 people, many people are unknown. And even if we all wear name tags, (laughs) many of the people in your church don't really have anyone to talk to about what matters in their life. They may be able to read the name tag, Mm -hmm. but as far as really knowing them, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. The one big family idea is, in almost every case, it's a myth. It's one of those unrealistic expectations we have a hard time letting go of. I believe that's right. And once you get beyond a dozen people, you should really start organizing in groups. Everyone will then have a home. Everyone who wants to be known and have meaningful relationships will have them. And a healthy group's model is scalable to a hundred, thousands, and even beyond that. So can we say that the goal is not to create a church where everyone knows everyone? That may be a little counterintuitive, but can't we say this? The goal is rather to create a church where everyone is known. I like that. I like that thought. Good job out of you. Well, it's my semi-annual good good idea. (laughs) A church where everyone is known Mm -hmm. instead of a church where everyone knows everyone. Because that's really not truthful. Not possible, is it? It's not possible. Well, let's go on to threat number two. What do you say? Okay. This is the threat of those who have power or power families that insist on having their own way. You're going to step in it now. Well, I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. The fact is that many small churches may not have elders and deacons, or they may have filled those biblical positions. But often there are people in those smaller churches and even families whose opinions carry tremendous weight. Mm -hmm. So the people who hold positions in the church don't always hold the power. Yes, and those people who may have power in the small church may have it because they have given a lot of money to the church, or they may have power because their ancestors were charter members of the church, or maybe they're people who've been successful in the business world and are well-known in the community. And One of those people may be an elder who ends up with a sort of de facto veto because no one else wants to make a move without that person's buy-in. Right. And if those people are not in some of the positions we mentioned, decisions that others make can get undone if the person or family disapproves. That's true. And Can we also say that power dynamics that are often found in the secular world have no place in Christ's church? I think we can. I'm I'm reminded something Jesus said in Matthew 20. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. So should we maybe do a podcast series sometime on what the New Testament teaches about power dynamics in the church? I think so. I think that's a good idea. I fear that we look too much like the world regarding power and authority sometimes. It's really important for this to change for our churches to be what God wants them to be. I agree. We get we get to mirror mirroring the wrong things. I agree. I think. And of course, where you have these individuals or power families, honey, You are talking about the abuse of power more often than not. The abuse of power in the church is unhealthy, and it really needs to be stopped. I agree. So how would you advise church leaders to address the problem of people who 
they're really not in positions of power, but they have power nonetheless, and who tend to abuse that power and are tyrants of the church. What can be done about this scenario? Because sadly, we hear of this fairly often. Right. Well, you know, our recommendation would be to confront the problem head on, mm-hmm. uh, to go to those people and to converse with them about the problem right. and try to get them to change. And, you know, our advice would be to take the power away from those people by going head to head with them. Right. And then hand that power back to the people who are supposed to have the power. And, you know, we're using this word power. It has such a negative term in this context. I, I know it has such a negative connotation. We probably should talk about those who have decision-making authority. That's the kind of power we're really talking about. The leaders of the church should have that kind of authority, of course, after consulting with the church, the leaders of the church. That's good clarification. And, you know, my experience has been that, that if you confront those in the church who are abusing power, well, that person will leave the church if it is clear that they will not be allowed to run the church anymore. That's true. And almost all of those are tough calls, you know, uh, to work through. But I can see that the church would be far better off for making that tough call, don't you? I do. When the people who are gifted to lead and called to lead get to lead, well, that church is just going to be healthy. And when churches get healthy, they grow. And you know what we've said sounds a little bit harsh, but I'm thinking of diatrophies over there in Third John, was it? He was oh, he was yeah. an ecclesiastical bulldozer, mm-hmm. and Gaius just just confronts him head on. He ripped him a new one. Uh, was it he he was telling the church? I think he was telling Demetrius, maybe or well, he was te- he was no, it was John telling Gaius. I'm getting my names right here eventually. John is telling Gaius to let Diotrephes know that when he comes, when John comes, he's going to take care of the problem. Yeah. So, you know, we have biblical precedent here that we should not allow. Uh, power people or power families to abuse that power and to run the church according to their own whims. We Mm -hmm. need to confront that. That would be what the scriptures would instruct us to do. And sometimes we think that's not loving when that really is love. Sure. That kind of love that's hard. It's confrontive. Well, anyway, we are saying that small churches have a problem when people who are not in position of leadership, they actually wield the power. That's just a problem that has to be addressed for the church to become healthy. So, hon, how about giving us a third uh, threat for small churches, especially? Sure. Well, threat number three is that the church might expect their minister to live up to a set of expectations that no human being can fulfill. <laughs> We've seen some of those job descriptions. We think probably Jesus couldn't have fulfilled right. some of those. <laughs> well, the fact is, you know, most small churches, if they have a paid minister, they may have only one. Mm-hmm. Then that one minister is expected to attend, if not conduct, every wedding, every funeral, to make every hospital call, to be a part of every meeting, to visit people in their homes, to write a killer message every Sunday, to organize most of the activities of the church, to be present for all functions, and to have a great family life. I need a nap just after you said all that. <laughs> in other words... The minister carries expectations that no human can fulfill. And you know what those expectations lead to. Absolutely. It leads to stress and more stress and depression and anxiety and feeling overwhelmed and fatigue and burnout 
and often the loss of a minister. In many cases, the it loss just of the minister. cascades. Yes. Yeah. In fact, my guess is that many small church ministers are actually more burnt out than large church ministers because in a larger church, there may be more who can share the load. That would be an interesting study to do because I'm sure there's enough burnout to go around. But the key here for those who want to grow past this is to set clear expectations of what the minister will spend his time on. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you expect your minister to do? What can you reasonably expect him to do and make that clear and manageable? Right. And we would recommend, too, that ministers focus on what they can do best to contribute. What is their gift set? You know, are they good communicators? Are they gifted at charting a course for the future? Are they skilled at developing future leaders? You know, we would really encourage ministers to focus on their gifts and let others do what they can do. Right. Share the load. Uh Share the responsibilities. And here's the final word on this, honey, before we move on to another common threat. Small church ministers, please realize this. If the key to growing your church is to work more hours, you're probably sunk. Yes. Work better and smarter with clearer boundaries and expectations. Don't just work longer. Once you master that, you can thrive even as your church grows. Isn't that interesting that sometimes when there's more stress and it's harder to get things done and expectations greater, we just try to work harder and work more, which just increases more stress. We all do that. Yeah, it's just, it's very common, Mm -hmm. but I think that's a good, more does not make better in those situations. But friends, here's threat number four to small churches, and that threat is tradition. In smaller churches, tradition often, I don't know, it seems to have more pull than the vision. Of course, this may be true of churches of all sizes and ages, even of church plants. We can think about it this way. The past has a nostalgia to it that the future never does. I think even the recent past can do that. We can remember how great the church felt when it was smaller. Remember how it was when we knew more people. Remember when we were more intimate. Um, When we met in that living room or that school facility or that small building in that neighborhood. Remember when, remember when, you know. People tend to pine for the good old days, which may not have been so good. (laughs) After all, we tend to have, I think, selective memory about the past and we tend to idealize the past a lot. So for smaller churches looking to the past, relying on the church's tradition, that can be a real hazard. The challenge for church leaders is to cast a vision that is clear enough and compelling enough to pull people from the familiar past into a brighter, exciting future and make the future what people appreciate about a past. That's a good word. That's a good word. You know, I think it's okay to be proud of the past, but to realize that was something God blessed you to do well at a time when it fit. What do we do now? Because it's a different time and a different place. Well, we can't rest on our laurels. Mm -mm. We need to continue moving forward. And what we do in the future will be the past. So make it grand. There you go. Okay. Well, what do you say we close this discussion with one more common threat to small churches? Okay. We're going to say it's the natural desire to do more, not less. The fact is that as churches grow, they are tempted to do more. Every time there are more people, more money, more resources, the pressure is strong to add programming and complexity to the ministry of the church. 
And our advice, it would be to resist that pressure. Mm-hmm. Just because you can add more doesn't mean you should. Often the key to reaching more people is doing less. You know, by adding a few things well and creating steps to spiritual maturity, not programs and activities, I think you'll really help more people to grow faster than almost any other way, don't you? I do. And I think we should note that complexity is the enemy of progress. Mm. Keep it simple. Focus Mm -hmm. on what you are good at. Focus on the few things you do very well. Be very intentional and selective about the programs you start and the activities you schedule. Make sure they contribute to your overall vision for the church. Well said. Well, we better wrap this up. Listeners, we've talked about five common threats to small churches. And the first one was the desire to keep the church one big family. Threat number two was those who have power or power families who may not be in positions of leadership, but who insist on their way anyway. (laughs) Threat number three was the expectations that churches have of their minister that no human being can fulfill. Threat number four was tradition when it displaces vision. And last, number five, the natural desire to do more, not less. Any closing words, hon? Oh, my word. <laughs> that would be a yes. I have found a new button on this machine. <laughs> we're going to be putting some black tape over some of these buttons. Yes, I do have a closing word um, to try to get back to serious here <laughs> as we close out. It's too late, baby. Uh, church leaders, we would encourage you to please take these threats seriously. We really would. Overcome them, and you are closer to progress. Avoid them or fail to deal with them. And your church may merely tread water or decline for a long, long time. Very true. Well, thank you, friends, for joining us for this episode number 100 of the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we offer support to church leaders and answer your questions. We'll return with a brand new podcast after the holidays and in a brand new year. Can you believe it? We pray that God blesses you, your family, and your church family in the coming year. And again, if there is any way we can support you or help you in any way, don't hesitate to contact us. God bless you, friends. 